0: Good morning, everyone. Let me invite you to head back to your seats and want to encourage you to continue these conversations after our worship service and stop by the table as well. But we are very excited about all that's happening, uh, especially through Serve SV. And the team's put a lot of effort into it for ways in which our church can be involved in our community. So we're really excited about this. Uh, But this morning... Let me read to you from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. This is the teach, uh, passage on which our teaching is based this morning. And please give your attention to God's word. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray together. Gracious God, we thank you that you have revealed yourself in Jesus Christ and in the scriptures, and you tell us how we may know you, how we may serve you and know your life, and we pray in the midst of all the changing words of our generations, we would now hear your eternal word that doesn't change. And Lord, we pray we would respond as we should in faith, understanding, and obedience, and we pray this In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're in the third week of a six-week sermon series we're calling We Believe. And David and I thought that this would be a great way to start the new year, you know, and what we mean by the phrase, we believe, is not meant to be a survey of all the basic beliefs of Christianity, although that is really, really important, but it's not our main focus here in this series But rather, we're trying to unpack some of the core convictions that drive us, drive our mission as a church. So many of you are new to grace, and you're trying to figure out, you know, what fuels this congregation? A lot of you have been here for a long time, and it's a good reminder to go back and say, this is what fuels our church. This is what animates us. And we're trying to help you understand what we mean also by some of the phrases that you will hear often used in our church. You may hear the word, the gospel is central. The centrality of the gospel, the gospel is the center of everything. Or you may hear about how you're free to struggle rather than struggling to be free. All of these things we want to kind of help you understand. And we started with, we believe in the foolishness of the cross a couple weeks ago. You know, the things that look foolish and weak, that is actually the power and wisdom of God, which is God himself crucified. That is our boast. I mean, that's a remarkable thing if you think about it. And also the basis of our unity, bringing things together the world would never, ever bring together. We believe in the foolishness of the cross. That is an animating uh, principle for us. We believe, last week we looked at, that Jesus is our righteousness, that we are declared righteous and improved in God's sight, that we are accepted, we are received and welcome through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a verdict that is passed over us, not something we actually accomplish. And this morning, we're going to look at the idea of the church. We believe the church is the body you need. Not necessarily the body you want, okay, but the body you actually need. So we're going to think about the church. And I know for some of you, uh, there's some negative associations with the idea of church. Anyone who's been around the church for a while has some of those, okay? And let's just say that's the case. For others, the church has been this amazing place of healing. So being a part of a church has been a life changing experience. So when I hear some of your stories, you might talk about a relationship that uh, one person, you know, that one person who invested in you as a child or a teen, or even as an adult who really cared about you, made time for you. And that opened up to you the idea that God actually loves you deeply. Perhaps you struggled with addiction and there was a 12 step program connect to to a church through which you got your life back. For others of you, maybe as an adult, it was through the teaching in the church you came to believe that God really does exist and care and has done something about you. And that has become a present reality in your life. And that experience has sustained you through some real hardship. You know, and sociologists, they can look at the church and say, well, that's just another community among many religious groups. But in the New Testament, the church is described as something utterly unique. And when you become a Christian, you necessarily, and you will always receive the blessing, which is a whole new set of relationships that you are planted into. This is why St. Paul in our passage this morning tells us that you are to conduct yourself in such a way that is appropriate to the household of God, the church of the living god a pillar and buttress of the truth he has a very high view of the church now how do you, we how do you get there how do we get there and before i get into unpacking those phrases let's just start with the word church because i think for some of you you're like oh yeah i know what that is that's that thing we go to on sunday or people go to on a sunday but It's not actually that in the original language. Because you can say, well, that's the church, but the Greek word ekklesia, which means just simply assembly, it's a gathering. It's a common everyday word for an assembly of people. But in the New Testament, this word becomes this other dynamic thing because it is the gathering of the assembly or the church of God himself. And here is the importance of trying to understand this. God is assembling us. That's what we believe, that each week, that God is calling his people from all places to be together as a family, and it is the vehicle by which he wants to tell people, I love you, I want to be reconciled to you, I want you to know me, and I want to know you. That's the church. And don't forget, in the New Testament, the idea of the church also seems to be very location-specific. Did you ever notice that? It's the church of God in Philippi, the church of God in Ephesus, the church of God in Jerusalem, the church of God in Rome. The idea is that in every one of those centers, these places, these churches are an outpost. It's an outpost that is trying to tell you about God, and proclaiming his good news. Which means Grace Presbyterian Church is part of the church of God here in Silicon Valley that is trying to do this. So let's take just a few moments this morning to look really. I want us to focus on verse 15 in particular. Where Paul said, you know, I may be running late here, but here's what I want you to do. Let's talk about what? This church is the household of God the church of the living God, and a pillar and a buttress of the truth. So those three things. First, the idea of the household of God. You know that word household? Basically, it just means family. And this is the first thing we have to know and understand about the church. In the New Testament, the church is God's family. And it tells us that inherently following Jesus is a communal act. And that may sound a little odd to you or a little counterintuitive given how much David talked about last week that we are justified, that Jesus is our righteousness. And for many of us becoming a Christian, that moment of conversion was a very much a personal relationship and moment with Jesus and it's a wonderful thing. But in the New Testament, that relationship is always counts in communal terms, meaning you have that relationship, but it doesn't end there. That actually brings about a lot more. So in First Corinthians chapter 12, the church is called the body of Christ. That is, we're compared not to being individuals who only have an individual relationship with Jesus, but we are part of a body and we are members of that body, the hands and the feet, so that today in the world, the church of Jesus Christ is meant to represent the presence of God in the world. So his eyes, his hands, his feet, his mouth, whereby through us as a family, God is present and acts. You know, sometimes we get this idea that Christianity is primarily a personal relationship. And the image that comes to mind to me is think of a wheel, a giant wheel with Jesus as the hub, And we all think of ourselves as the spokes that go out from the hub, but we never touch each other. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, The idea of somehow all of us are connected to Jesus in this way, and somehow, but we don't need to interact. And I know all these illustrations are are not perfect, because you can say, well, we all kind of are together in one wheel. Yes, that's the case, but we always love to emphasize the part where we're just a spoke connected to Jesus, okay? And again, I'm not disparaging the personal relationship aspect of it. There's something beautiful and good about it. But the communal is the dominant metaphor. You are called to be part of a family that joined together as an assembly. The relationship of Jesus to us always necessitates relationship with one another. And we really believe that here at Grace. And I know this is where a lot of the rub with the church comes into play here because this means, and hear me out, the church is a lifelong experience of learning to love people you do not like nor are naturally drawn to. You guys know what I'm talking about? Because that's family, you know, right? The way the world works is often, often like this we look at people and ask ourselves, all right, what value do you add to my life? Okay, I'm busy. What is the value add to building a friendship with you or relationship with these people? I've heard people say this to me here in Silicon Valley. They say, I'm really busy. So, I mean, what are you doing for me? Because if you're not doing much for me, I don't know if I need to invest in this because I... I, can, I need stuff that adds value to my life. That's how the world works, right? Whether it's professionally, relationships, friendships, whatever. Or maybe on the other side of this, you enter a church and it just reminds you of middle school. You know, you know that moment when you walk into the cafeteria with your lunch tray and you scan the room to see at which table you will be welcomed and accepted. And you start thinking, well, I'm not going to be wanted here. I don't belong. These people don't look like me, okay? But we are told both of those images don't really work well here. The church is the household of God, a family you belong, whether you like it or not, okay? And you're saying, iron household, family. Gosh, we just got through the holidays, okay? That was stressful. Or if your family gets together for Lunar New Year 10 days away, people, okay? And you're feeling the angst. Why? Because you have to be with your family. We, we pick friends, but we don't choose our families. And by the way, all this goes, I love my family, so don't read into it. And um, I'm excited about Lunar New Year. It's fun. It's good. But, but, but you guys know what I'm talking about. There's pressure. I'm expected to be there. And here's the thing. And if you're one of these people who like to kind of lift your noses and talk about personal spirituality versus organized religion, at the end of the day, I want to ask you, are you becoming one of these people who snubs people who don't think like you do? Or is your personal spiritual, uh, spirituality uh, really helping you becoming a person to love the people who are difficult to love? like me, or like you. This is the real test. Jesus says they will know you are Christians by what? Your love. You see, it's God's family. We're not easy to be around, okay? It's not meant to be easy. This is why we needed saving in the first place. Don't forget that, right? Leslie Newbigin um, is a remarkable theologian. He says this about the church. One of the most helpful ways to comprehend what Christ did for us on the cross lies in the knowledge and understanding that he has created a place where sinful men and women, despite their sin, may be accepted by God and enabled to live and rejoice in his presence. The cross is, if you like, the continuation of the ministry of Jesus who received sinners and ate and drank with them. The church is the place where this still happens. The church is a place for people who are broken, who are in process. We're here not because we have it all together, because we're working this out, and we're saying, I need you, and you need me, and we need to do this together. And we're saying, we are doing this, and we are welcoming people on this journey. Now, this means that grace... We expect misfits like me and you to be in our midst. Those the world deems not cool or of no value, the scriptures tell us in Jesus Christ, you are part of God's household. You belong, you know? We have a seat for you at the dinner table. And you know, whenever you have a hard time with the church, there's a verse that I want you to remember. And this is from Hebrews chapter 2. And in this chapter, it's, the, it, it, it's imagining a time when God's kingdom actually comes in its fullness. And the family of God is present there before him. And Jesus Christ, our elder brother, is there. And you know what he says? In verse 11, it says, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed to call you brothers. Brothers and sisters, you and I may struggle with the church, okay? But one of the most comforting things is that Lord Jesus, who is the one that connects all of us, says, you belong to me. I'm never ashamed of you. And he says, this is my family. I love my family. And in him, you're part of this family. What do you need to see about the church? The church is... The family of God, the household of God, really important. The second thing that you begin to see here in verse 15 is it's also God's home. Did you see this? The church is God's home. So if you, it says, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Now, this phrase, the church of the living God, is one of those phrases that's really loaded with a lot that has been taking place earlier in the Bible. Because for the original audience, it hinted at all this language about the Old Testament. Because in those days, the idea that God is actually living and with you, that was not a happy thought, nor a common thought. God is somewhere who's far away, and you had to figure out how to reach him, how to get access to him. But in the Old Testament, what do we read? We are told the living God is among you. That's what Joshua says in Joshua chapter 3. He tells the people of God that God is actually with us and he actually wants to dwell with us. The New Testament has even more creative language in this. In Peter, in the writings of Peter, he says, you get the idea of how God is present with us? He says, you have to understand the church in this way. The church is described as a living temple comprised of living stone. And when we ask, what is the church? We say, it's God's home. We have the image of the New Testament living temple, a living people who have the actual presence of God, the Holy Spirit within them, guiding them, directing them, and at work in their lives, not just individually, okay, we're coming back to this. But by being together, God is saying, I inhabit that place and with these people. That's a remarkable thing. The temple. God inhabits our gathering here. This is meaningful. In a meaningful way, God is here when we gather Sure, there's wonderful experiences of Christian life that is you things you work on by yourself. You can learn, you can practice your disciplines, you can read the Bible, you can serve. But importantly, you can do those things even outside the church or on your own or even with non-church-based ministries. But there is something that is uniquely taking place in the church when we gather, and it's a spiritual reality and that doesn't mean he's not with you all the time, okay? There's a sense in which God is omnipresent and with us all the time. But there is also a difference, the Bible's trying to teach us, between God's presence within our personal relationship and when his people gather together. That's his promise. God lives here. This is where his presence is found in a very, very unique way. And some of you have experienced this, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Did you ever get the sense that you're in church on Sunday morning, and you're feeling like the pastor is preaching, and all of a sudden, it feels like that sermon was written with you in mind? It's almost as if the pastor somehow read your diary and understood everything you're going through. That's the Holy Spirit at work in that moment in you. You know, It pierces your heart. It comforts you, challenges you, overwhelms you—you know—all of those things. It's like this, this surgeon's scalpel going after you and your soul through the word of God being preached. Or it may happen as you sing and worship together with people. You feel God meeting you in that moment in a way that you didn't or have not ever all by yourself. See, or that moment in your community group, or in one of the Bible studies or just being with others where God is showing up and someone just threw out a phrase that had nothing to do with anything else and all of a sudden it was the missing piece that just clicked and you started thinking and understanding, oh my gosh, this all of a sudden starts to make sense. This is Jesus showing up, the spirit of God showing up and this is what we mean when we say the church is God's home. And may I suggest, and maybe I should put it this way more in a question for her. Could it just be possible that for some of you who are struggling to experience God's presence and growing in the way that you feel like you should and you're just frustrated about it, perhaps it is because you're focusing only on the personal and you're avoiding the family? You know, you're, you're going about it with all of those things without actually figuring out how is the church a part of this because God says the church is central and essential to be able to grow. So consider that because this is why we have all of these events here, you know, and we're, we're doing all of these gatherings because we're saying we're trying to live out together what it means to be the people of God. We need each other And God is saying, I'm inhabiting your space there. And lastly, thirdly, let's talk about this idea of pillar and buttress of the truth. You know, not only the church where God is present and where he lives, but the church is the instrument by which God's truth is to be brought to the world. Okay. It's the instrument by which God's truth is brought to the world. Now, we said here that Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor in Ephesus. And in that ancient city of Ephesus, they had one of the ancient wonders of the world there at the time, the Temple of Artemis. And it's no longer there, but I think a lot of the columns or pillars, I think, are in places like Istanbul. You can see these 60 feet tall columns, massive 10 feet diameter, perhaps, and there were Oh, I don't know, like a hundred of them holding up in that temple a glorious roof that had a whole story of Artemis spelled out across the top. And then people would come and marvel at it. And this is the image where the text is saying the church is supposed to be like this. These columns, these buttresses holding up something beautiful so the whole world would see the story of the gospel. Lifting it up high so people would be able to see all of these things to be true. And it's not just about proclaiming truth just from up front, but it's saying in the relationships, in the engagement with one another, and the way our life is ordered, and the way we learn to forgive our patient, and we're generous, and we're admonishing and encouraging, this is what it needs to be. It needs to be put forth and shown to the world, and that's what the church is meant to be. And you do that in a unique way that you can't do just by yourself. You see? And it's a very public thing. You know, most of the religions in the Roman times were what we call mystery religions. That is, there's some sort of secret you come to learn about when you go study these religions. And only for the really smart or the really spiritual, it unlocks something for you. Oh, the secret is now revealed, you know? And so when Paul is saying the mystery of our religion... He's being very ironic here, kind of mocking that. He, he does that sometimes. He's saying, our religion is grace. Our religion is very plain. It's for everyone to see. And he goes through in this poem, which is probably an ancient praise song the Christians sang. He says, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. See? And he's saying, this is what the church is meant to be. I always find it fascinating that these verses in 1 Timothy 3 come just after Paul has gone to lengths to talk about, here's what an elder is in the church. Here's what a deacon is in the church. And then he talks about this. It's like, okay, this is the church, you know, there is flesh and bone. It's not just a spiritual reality, but it's actually the gathering of the people of God. And here's what I want us to leave with this morning. Look, if this is all true about who Jesus is, if Jesus is saying, I'm gathering his people to be this kind of community where you have a new family, where you belong, where people who have no other place where they belong in this world, Jesus keeps saying, come, you have a home here, okay? And if this is the place where we, in life together, in worshiping Jesus, begin to be transformed by God's presence. Because he promises he dwells with us. And now we're supposed to be this city set on a hill. One that proclaims to the world, this is what it looks like to believe in the true and living God. Who is saying, I'm going to transform the world. I think this means... At the very least, every single one of us needs to give the church a chance. Because it's the body we need. I think a lot of us would rather do things on our own than do the hard work of being in the church sometimes. Because it's harder. And in many ways, it's also beautiful when it's great. You know, part of living here in the Bay Area, you become uh, very accustomed to the fact that people are... Much, very much, early adopters into things, you know. Um, sometimes people like jumping on the bandwagon on things that are kind of half baked. You know what I mean? You know, you know when that update comes on your computer, on your phone, and it's like half the stuff isn't working. You know who checks this before they roll it out? It's half baked, right? And in one sense, you know, I think a church is kind of like that, and I mean this in a good way. You're early adopting. Think about it this way. The kingdom of God. We're here. The fullness of it is yet to come. But we are experiencing it together. Okay? That means some of the bugs, which is you, which is me, okay, are getting worked out here. And we're doing this together. And the invitation is still come into the church and experience the life of Christ and community with other people. But understand that it is really still in its seed form and not here in its fullness. And yet, we are saying, this is what we need. This is what I need. This is what I can invite people to, to say, we are broken people who are on this journey to let people know, let others know, God has done something remarkable. Remarkable. That he has come in Jesus. He has made us new. And he is building his kingdom here. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you. We praise you. That you choose not to cast us aside, but rather to forgive us, to redeem us, to invite us and make us a part of your family. And we're reminded that we need each other. It's always easier sometimes to go off on our own and try to find you. But you have said what we actually need is each other so that the world may see in the church the glory and the power of the gospel. And we ask, Lord, that this morning you would help us to understand and to give ourselves to your word Help us to be blessed to be a part of each other's lives, even when it's difficult, especially when it is so. For you want to grow us and make us more into the image of your son and a community that shows the world who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.